Matthias Wallman from Second Floor Sports. Been a little under the weather, so I'll be manning this one solo. Joined by good friend of the show. Well, maybe good friend is uh, slipping a little bit as he puts on his union hat. Frank Rossi, one of the hosts of In the D3 Football Huddle. Good friend of Ben and I's and a good friend of the show. How you doing today, Frank? I'm doing okay. Thanks for having me. And uh, I, I will lose this eventually, but I, I have to, you know, Union had a pretty good uh, run uh, last year. This That's actually where I met you guys last year in person, finally, uh, at uh, Butterfield during uh, the Union's really good game. It was a good game uh, between the, yeah. two, the two teams. Uh, but Union just had a really good second half that uh, allowed them to pull through after weathering a lot of blows in the first half. Uh, and uh, coming out looking pretty good in the, at halftime. I think they built a lot of confidence in that game to win that one. And uh, you know the rest of the story. That ended up being the uh, de facto Liberty League Championship. Union, I believe, made it to the uh, round of 16. Indeed. Uh, they uh, lost to Salisbury uh, by a lofty score on both sides of the ledger, but uh, Salisbury kind of outscored them early and often enough to hold on in that game to advance uh, to the round of eight. Regardless, a magical run for Union. And like Frank mentioned, that's where we met uh, at Ithaca. Uh, we had been a big fan of the show for the last couple of years uh, in the D3 Football Huddle. You can follow them on Twitter and on Facebook. Their handle on Twitter is D3FB Huddle, or you can follow Frank directly at Frank Rossi. You guys do a fantastic job of covering D3 football. And as we'll get into it now, just the state of what college football is in. You know, you, you had an episode a couple weeks ago kind of detailing what some plans were for college football to return at the D3 level. Of course, a lot has changed. For people that are unaware, why don't you just give us a, a rundown of where it stands right now and kind of what the timeline has been? Well, overall, um, we let's say since the middle of July, uh, we're getting some warnings from folks out there that we were going to be losing Division Three football for the fall season. Uh, there were a lot of conferences that were holding tight, and in the end, uh, those conferences went by the wayside because uh, initially it was the testing uh, mandates that there were at least guidelines that were coming out from the NCAA that you had to have weekly tests for football 72 hours before the event. There were two problems with it. One, uh, just practicality of getting tests right now can be tough in certain areas of this country, Number two, the cost. Um, the PCR tests are somewhere in the vicinity of 60 plus dollars per. And there are other methodologies to use for testing out there, don't get me wrong. And uh, those are being explored right now as we speak for maybe the future, such as the NBA's uh, spit test, as we call it. Um, that's gonna be a definite change in price uh, ultimately. But when you took those guidelines and then last, was it uh, two weeks ago now, uh, basically, had the NCAA say, okay, hold on, not only are those guidelines, those are now mandates. And on top of that, so, but at that point, Division Three was already gone. All but one conference said, no, there were only about 20 teams left out of 247 Division Three teams at that point left. Division Two already knew their championship was going to go by the wayside at that point. Division Three was gone. And then they said, hey, guys, we're not going to just do that. But you know those Pac-12 and Big Ten uh, demands that are being made by the uh, unified players? Well, we're going to take all of them instead of sort of saying we're going to take some of them and then, you know, here's why we're going to take some and not the others. So on one end of it, you had the mandate for uh, the opt-out, I guess they uh, call it, 
where you don't lose your scholarship or you don't have your scholarship affected if you choose to opt out in a season. This is a big FBS question more than anything else, or FCS to a certain degree, and a little bit of D2. Uh, you don't lose it. There's no effect on it, ultimately. Okay, that's great. And you know what? You make a choice, an informed decision to go play. That's fine, okay? I, I think the country knows enough about COVID to at least a certain degree about most of the effects or at least the risks involved with it. And you know there may be a couple other problems that might go along with it, like the heart question that uh, we've seen play out. It's on you. You want to play? Not. But don't worry, you're, you get to come back to college no matter what, ultimately for your scholarship and your eligibility. But on top of that, they did the following. And this was a huge game changer for, uh, for all college football, including Division I. Liability waivers are things you'll sign in a rec league wherever you are in the country, let alone college. Basically saying, I understand the risks of playing this sport. If I get hurt, it's on me to cover it with my own health care, etc. I'm not going to sue the league that I'm playing in. These were being considered by schools for COVID-specific purposes for months. And I know this for a fact. It, it, this would just go along with every other thing that college does normally. Well, the NCAA said, no, we will not allow you to make them mandatory for gameplay. Huge, huge insurance implications from doing that. On top of it, any sports-related infection that occurs, even despite all that, has to be covered, the costs of it, by the school. Good luck defining how somebody gets COVID or not. Yeah. Especially with the amount of time you'll spend in the field, you'll assume it came from on the field somehow or in practice or whatever else. Whereas we're not necessarily documenting that party that a player may have gone to on Friday night and the possibility came from there just as easily. And I'm not trying to down college students in that respect. I was a college student. I get it. I get what you want to do in your four years. 100%. I know that people are doing it, even not being at college right now, that they're going out to parties at near schools and everything else. I get it. I'm not trying to you know, throw cold water on anything you want to do in your life right now. I'm just being factual about it. Well, Big Ten, Pac-12 saw the NCAA do that. They were already weathering these questions a little bit internally. And then the whole heart tissue issue, which is really a result of any virus that you go through, not just COVID, but the flu does it too. See Harvard uh, study from 2009 on that. Uh, for those wondering, you can easily Google it. And there are many other studies out there about it too. It's just your heart gets inflamed when it's dealing with a viral infection. It, it comes with the territory. And often any infection that you have, as or any virus that you have uh, as a college football player or athlete, is going to cause you to need to take time off. It's just the way it is. You have to recover, and that's part of the recovery. Well, a lot of schools found that they weren't going to be insured fully anymore, or the premiums went through the roof and basically said, we can't afford to self-insure this. We have to pull the plug. And that's where the Big Ten and the Pac-12 came in. I'm not trying to be a bear when I say this about higher education. Here's a reality of all business in the world, and colleges are businesses, whether we like it or not. This wasn't about the health, safety, and welfare of the college students because college students could get this from just going to the restaurant down the street at the end of the day, but it's not on the watch of the college, and so they don't have the liability for it is what their philosophy is. And as such, that's why we sit where we uh, sit right now with two of the major conferences and FBS saying no, and the rest sort of teetering still 
And then other schools like Notre Dame right now having to call things off in uh, North Carolina in terms of classes themselves, although that doesn't mean they're going to call off their college sports. Mm-hmm. It just means that they're not going to have in-person classes for the uh, duration of this term, it sounds like. Well, we'll talk about North Carolina because you brought it up. They are experimenting with a bubble right now. Um, and, you know, I read the Sports Illustrated article that came out a couple of days ago kind of talking about some advantages, some disadvantages. Obviously, we've seen that work with the NBA, but a point that you reached at. We, we've both been to college before. We know what college students do, and they're now linking the outbreak in Notre Dame. I think it spiked to 147 in a single day um, to a party that was off campus. So if college football were to happen, how do you see it happening? Because they would have to have some sort of bubble environment on campus. But then the question becomes, can you have athletes on campus while you tell every other student that they can't come to campus? Well, it's a little difficult there. I think my co-host James Baker had said this to me uh, a couple of weeks ago. Uh, I know somebody did, and it was a good point. There was a point during this whole discussion over the last few months where people were like, hey, if you don't send the students back on campus, you can't have sports. Mm-hmm. And so, for instance, Ithaca, a uh, school that you're fond of, obviously, uh, was going for the late start. Yeah, well, you know, so yeah, I should have this on, is what I'm saying over <laughs> you here. You can put it on, you can put it on. Yeah, well, I got it right there at least, so we're, we're good. <laughs> but um, Ithaca was going for a late start compared to most schools. They were aiming for an October start. And so what we thought was, well, how are they going to play sports if they start in October but don't have the students back yet until that October start date? Then at a certain point, when the infection numbers nationally started going back up again in Florida, Texas, Arizona, California, especially those four states are getting the highlights of this right now, Mm -hmm. the tone changed. It actually became more of a question, you're better off having sports if you don't have the students back. In fact, I'm going to tell you this, if the Big Ten were smart in this whole thing, To get out of the conundrum they were in, here's what they should have done and said. We're not going to start the season until the first or second week in November. We'll play eight games. We'll try to get the other conferences to do the same. Bowl games normally are in a one-month range from the middle of December to now the middle of January with the championship. You don't have the same need for bowl games when you don't have as many teams playing and less desire for the travel, the excess travel, excess play at that point. So you basically take out almost three of those three weeks of those 30 days. Try to kick the national championship by a week into deeper into uh, January. I'm sure venues wouldn't say no, uh, ultimately, to try and kick that date because how many other people are using them for major events right now? Not many. Can't imagine too many. Nope. And so the idea or the objective in this is to basically get the season to start as late as possible to reduce the exposure of the players to the general population of the campus because most schools are going to be done the week before thanksgiving and done until the next term begins so essentially creating a campus bubble that way now the first couple weeks obviously there's overlap in that process but it gets you out of this funky middle ground where you're going to have to go create your own season to play your own Rose Bowl in the spring if this is the way it's going to stay ultimately and gets you into a unified safer methodology where actually you benefit from not having the, uh, the college in full session with all the students there and everything else. They can afford the room and board for these players, especially for the money that college football brings in. And 
Yeah, we're going to have fans not in the stands either way, it looks like, at least for most games. Nothing really changes in the whole thing, except we have a couple or a few less games, and we just compress the season in a way that, listen, the, the delay between your last uh, game or your championship game for your conference and your bowl game, ultimately, is ridiculous as it is. You don't need it to be like that, so you can use that to your advantage when you're trying to schedule it. That's what the Big Ten and the Pac-12 should have done. And they could have found some support, I think, from the SEC, the Big 12, definitely, I think, and the ACC to get it to happen. The fiasco that we're in right now is this. Division three schools, and Division one for that matter, are still going to have the same problem until the NCAA changes the methodology of this all, the mandates and whatnot. And that becomes this. The liability issue still exists. No matter what you do here, the liability issue still exists. And there are major schools in Division Three that have legitimately said, and I tweeted about this last week, they can't even practice right now because the insurers won't insure and the school won't let them. How does that change in the entire equation? Not just in the fall, but in the winter and the spring as well. Because COVID will still be a threat. You're still gonna need to do testing even with a vaccine if one comes out effectively, uh, even mass produced, because not everybody's gonna take it or take it at the same time necessarily. And the risk is still there for liability and costs. Nothing changes. So how do you have sports at all fall, winter, or spring, let alone just fall right now? I can't answer that question. And we're seeing a lot of schools come out putting these spring football schedules together right now uh, in Division Three. I'm not paying any mind to them right now because they haven't given me an answer to that threshold question yet of, what changes in the spring? How, does, how do you suddenly afford what you can't afford now when it's still at least a legal mandate, if not an NCAA mandate? Because once you make it a mandate in the NCAA, trying to undo that mandate legally doesn't work well. No, and you know that kind of becomes the issue. Like you touched on before, unfortunately, you know, colleges are a business. College football is a business. A lot of talk has been over why they should have college football, especially because it will support, you know, other sports because it is the biggest revenue generator. I'll ask you this now, unbiasedly, obviously we all want football to return. Do you see it happening in the spring? And I know it's kind of an impossible question because like you mentioned, we don't know what's gonna happen today to tomorrow or today to next week. It's possible in the next, you know, 24, 48 hours, the SEC cancels. And if one other conference cancels, in my opinion, we don't get D1 football this season. There's a push and pull in the NCAA when it comes to football and basketball and the interaction between the two. Remember that FBS is not the NCAA's championship in terms of the college football uh, playoff. March Madness is. And the NCAA cannot afford to have anything undermine the revenue generation from March Madness. March Madness funds Division Three. March Madness funds Division Two. March Madness funds for football FCS. March Madness funds sports that aren't revenue-making sports all along underneath. And that's most of them. Right now what you're running into is college football threatens March Madness if the timing is what it is. March Madness could be kicked to May Madness per se, sure, but still, you're going to have a calendar issue if the 
you know, desire to play a full football season is still there. Because when do you start it? You start it in January? Well, that's not going to be great in the North. So we've already seen this uh, in the um, Division Three context because some of the schedules we've seen put out so far, the American Southwest Conference, for instance, uh, which is where Mary Harden Baylor plays, so, you know, a big name in Division Three. The ASC said we're going to start on February 6th, play five regular season weeks, four games in the five weeks of the teams, give them a, a bye, basically, in the rotation. And then week six is the flex where our divisions that we create artificially right now will take on each other, uh, number one versus number one, etc., and we'll crown a conference championship that way. February 6th, Ohio can't do that. New York can't do that. Okay, many northern states can't do that. So what's the right start date for a spring season in FBS that wouldn't create issues for March Madness ultimately? I can't figure it out. And this is where the challenge comes to try to suggest whether or not you're going to see fall f- or spring football is it's got to work right or the NCAA is not going to actually push hard for it to happen and the conferences are going to have to bear the burden of this a little bit more than they normally would in terms of proving that it's a good idea to do it. Uh, this is why I say the Big Ten and Pac-12 would have been smarter to try to push this thing to November and create some kind of middle calendar system that doesn't currently exist the way that football would normally embrace it. So that's my thought. Will we see it in Division One? I don't really think so. In Division Three, it's not going to matter if you do or don't because it's going to be spotty. There are going to be some schools that do it, some schools that don't. And the NCAA said you play five games or less, you keep your eligibility. So it doesn't matter for eligibility purposes. Some schools are going to do it. Some schools, I'm going to tell you right now, will try to play a scrimmage or a game in the fall as well. I guarantee you there will be some Division Three college football in the fall, probably more in November if it comes down to it, when testing gets cheaper. But in terms of unified across-the-country spring football, I don't see it. I don't. Well, it's unfortunate, but it's starting to look that way. Like you mentioned before, there were some sort of uh, calendars coming out, some schedules, at least partial, but without any answers on why things will be different in the spring, it just looks unlikely. You, you touched upon some eligibility things that I want to get to at the end of the interview. Apparently right now, the Big Ten is working for some sort of schedule. I saw a report out of Ohio State, although it wasn't corroborated, so I'm not sure how much weight you put in it, but apparently they're organizing some sort of schedule between Ohio State, Penn State, Iowa, and then hoping that Michigan and Wisconsin would join. Are you of the opinion that one more conference cancels and we don't have any D1 football? Well, that was the assumption when it was happening uh, in real time with the Big Ten and the Pac-12. The Big 12 basically was the decider. Um, And you saw all kinds of great memes on uh, Reddit CFB and other uh, Twitter handles uh, during that week. It really was a question uh, of the Big 12 wanted to play or not. And they said yes. And a couple other more minor uh, Division One conferences uh, stuck in there, or FBS conferences, but the one that mattered was the Big 12. And they all seemed to wait f- to see what they would say before redoubling and redoubling their schedules and whatnot. So all it's going to take is one more conference to go for the rest of them to go. There's no doubt in my mind. The SEC and the ACC, for how tied they are right now, can, like the Big Ten and the Pac-12, they aren't tied to that same degree like those two conferences have been from history. 
Okay, yes, geography ties them, but only to a degree too. So I, I really think that you're just one domino away from it happening where fall football doesn't happen in FBS. Personally, I think Major League Baseball is showing us the correct answer. Yes, players will get sick. Yes, there will be spread. What do you do when it happens? How do you handle it when it happens? That's the key question. If you're going to return to sports and assume you're going to have no infections and no spread, you're in the wrong business right now. Yep. It's going to happen. It's a question of what you do, especially for your liability uh, purposes uh, in Division One right now. What do you do? And the NFL, the NBA, the NHL, have uh, MLB, uh, they've all come up with their concepts on what to do. And bubbling is possible in those leagues, in those sports, because to a certain degree, they have a control factor over the players with pay and the fact that they're not in school uh, for academics, that is. Uh, but it's tougher in college. It really is. And so if you're going to assume no spread, if you're going to assume zero infections, I'm going to tell you, you're going to have more infections than the Major League Baseball uh, infections we saw the Marlins had. It's going to be bigger than that. But again, it's a question of what do you do when it happens? What's your instant reaction? How do you quarantine out the situation? How do you do the testing necessary to stop the spread? And what do you do with the game or games in the next weeks for that team? And can you survive in doing that? I'm not worried about spread between teams. I'll be honest with you. I think there's enough face shields and... Helmet inserts, we were uh, kind of joking back and forth about this last time I watched you guys, that you won't see spread between players of teams. I think it's going to be between players of the same team on the sidelines, ultimately, and you need to protect the head coaches and the older folks on the sideline entirely, which you can do. Welcome to 2020 with wireless communications technology of all sorts that you can do in Division One, But you've got to be cognizant that it's not going to be zero infections i can't say that enough times Absolutely. and what do you do when it is you can't live in a dreamland i mean we saw it in the mlb at first they really proved that you can't really have sports in 2020 without a bubble now they've responded pretty well though the cardinals played the other day for the first time in i think two weeks and you know that's kind of an issue in my mind is it's a little different in baseball and football because now we're seeing in baseball there's a big you know a big problem it's going to happen because the cardinals have played you know 15 less games than another team but ultimately you can usually make them up if you're on a rigid schedule for football and you miss two or three weeks that's three games that you might not be able to make up especially like you mentioned you're starting in november and we really don't know what's going to happen when flu season comes around as well I would say that uh, baseball will probably have to add in one to two weeks at the end of the season if another t a team or two have this happen. You can't have a disequitable situation and have playoffs even with the expanded playoff system ultimately. So I, I think don't be surprised if they don't try to pop an extra week in there and then offset the next season by the same uh, to compensate for it. You're, we're getting to that danger level of equitability in that sport where I would actually be a proponent of that flexibility uh, to just make sure nobody hits a panic button ultimately that you have plan B and plan C in place for what to do in those. Um, you don't have that same ability as you pointed out in college. You just don't. And so 
you know, your options for spring are nice, but that would be my plan C. Plan B should have been something in between. And I don't know. Yeah. I don't know how over the last four to five months, the NCAA and the conferences didn't sit down and begin to have this discussion in earnest. I don't understand how what my, my, what my gay flag football uh, leagues across the country and the national one I work with have had discussions about for months, liability waivers, how that's suddenly an issue in the NCAA, how that wasn't something that they decided from day one on this, that they weren't going to mandate it ultimately, because liability and risk are liability and risk. I don't see what changes per se with that mandate or why suddenly you just flip the switch and we're going to have that mandate now or the cost issue as well. These are things that could have been determined months ago. But instead what we had was the conference is basically saying we're looking to the NCAA. The NCAA is basically saying we're looking to the states. The states are saying we're gonna to look to the schools to a certain degree. And the schools are saying we're looking to the conferences. And we have an endless loop going on. Nobody's willing to make a decision on anything. And that's not leadership, that's bull. You know why. Mm-hmm. No, so the problem becomes as well, we kind of discussed it earlier, but the lack of plan, right? There were a lot of things thrown out and, you know, I get it. I'm, I'm willing to cut some slack that is a pandemic and things change day to day. You know, I remember I, I was in Florida with Ben actually on vacation in March and they said, uh, masks don't do anything. I only wore one because my mom was freaking out and made me wear one on the plane, but it started as masks don't do anything. Then it changed to masks do help. So, you know, we have to give some leniency there, but I, I assume that you share the same sentiment that, you know, the same way schools have kind of been throwing a bone recently with we're going to have on-campus uh, classes and such forth, and now they're kind of pulling everything back, and that was the big thing with Michigan, was uh, Harbaugh said, we followed everything, and we came back pretty negative, and now we have to have the schedule canceled, so... I ask you the impossible question because that's why I brought you on is if football were to happen in the spring here or in November, kind of briefly give me a plan of what you would do in terms of having students on campus or not and having athletes on and what you would make some of the protocol for a bubble. That's a million dollar question, question. Uh, isn't it? First off, I want to say, I, I do miss having Ben uh, on. I want to say this uh, earlier on, and we need to get an Instagram page for Ben's hair alone, I, I think. <laughs> you know, most Absolutely. people have Instagram pages for dogs and uh, pets and whatnot. Ben's hair alone, I think, can make an Instagram page. I, I'm due for a haircut tomorrow, but, you know, Ben, you ben went some, short crop last time I saw him. Oh, no kidding. Yeah, he's, he's gonna, that's going to be his claim to fame when it comes to, you know, being big time in sports someday. It's the Ben Carlton hair, basically. Howard Stern, I'd say. Oh, well, no, that's, that's <laughs> hair. That's something. Okay, to answer your question, uh, honestly, for safety protection avoidance of spread, if, like I said, the November idea, and this was talked about uh, between me and somebody who's uh, influential in Division Three right now, I would say that... November type approach would have been the best fit to try to avoid students on campus and try to create an artificial bubble. That would have been number one for me, uh, that if they could have done that, and still could technically, although the Big Ten and Pac-12 probably are done done at this point, uh, 
that would have been the best protection. Look, liability waivers have to be allowed. There's just no way around this. And even retracting now by the NCA, like I said, creates legal issues. But let's just say in a perfect world, you could still have them. Make informed consent, which is the foundation of most things in the country. Every website you visit, every activity you do has those terms and conditions that you kind of agree to by just being on their site or whatever. Well, signing a document that says, I truly, really do understand what I'm doing here matters to insurers. Maybe it has some legal issues, but insurers want them because it gives them the link to stand on later on in a court if it comes down to it or at a settlement conference. And when it comes to, you know, if they play in the spring, you're going to have to create a true bubble just in the sense of how else do you get out of the liability loop in this whole thing? Okay, if we're going to really create costs for sports-related infections to be borne by the schools, well, then let's make every infection they experience a sports-related infection so we don't have the guesswork. We don't have the possibility of excessive liability, ultimately, or costs for things that weren't really, but we can't define it otherwise. And so the fallback position is it was from being in practice, of course. What else could it be? Because so your teammates have it too. Those are the things you need to do. Um, and honestly, and I, I, as you know me by, by now, you know I am the optimist, or at least was the optimist for a while here with James, uh, my co-host James Baker, and in the huddle. If there's a will, there's a way. Right now, I don't see a way you play in the spring, especially in the lower divisions that can't afford a bubble. You just can't. And so Division One might be able to afford it, but like I said, if it's going to do anything to eat into the profits or the revenues of college basketball, that's where athletic directors are going to start to sort of be like, oh, I don't know about this. Exactly. Well, it's going to be interesting to see. Uh, last question before I let you go. What's the long-term effect of this? Because this isn't going to end here. Like we've touched upon the whole interview, it's affecting college basketball, which let's be real. At this point, we don't even know if college basketball is going to happen, right? It's possible that we do this whole song and dance and then, you know, we, we hit a second wave in the winter or something. And before a vaccine comes out, things get worse. So what's the long-term effect? Is there any chance for leniency and eligibility? You expect to see a lot of opt-outs. I know Nick Saban, head coach of Alabama, said he thinks it's going to look like JV football if they play in the spring because so many players are going to opt out if they're planning on going into the draft. So what do you see as the long-term effect? Well, first off, if they don't play March Madness, the NCAA as an entity has a major, major issue because, again, that's the funding source for Division Three championships, Division Two championships, and many Division One sports championships. We've already lost that revenue for one year, and granted, we're not playing them, but there's still expenses associated with them along the way inside the organization. So it's a huge, huge issue if we don't play March Madness and have the TV money come in from it the same way uh, you would expect from CBS and Turner every year. Long-term effect for football? We had some um, question, uh, I was on an Alabama uh, sports radio station and uh, about transfers right now from the Big Ten and the Pac-12. My answer was that would take such an extreme level of waiver that we've never seen before because technically we are in season right now. Preseason started August 10th in the lower divisions and probably even earlier in Division One. technically. Uh, you know, we were scheduled to start games normally in what? Two weeks? Yep. Not even? So... 
I, I don't believe transfers will be allowed from Big Ten schools to SEC schools at this point. There's no way. The opt-out principle in the spring is big, indeed. In Division One, I would say it's going to have an effect in the short term more than on Division Three and Division Two. How many students would go back to Ithaca for a fifth year, I ask you as an Ithaca student. I, I know my answer is a union student or alum at this point. How many students would go back for a fifth year paying $50,000, $60,000 for the uh, whole shebang just to play their fourth year of eligibility ultimately? There's not many that will do it ultimately. So the question we got on Twitter recently was, do you think you see a lot of graduate students, you know, fifth years, uh, on programs over the next couple of years? My answer is no. There will be some small percentage, but it will not be the extreme number that some people are assuming will happen. Division one, one of two things is going to happen. The draft is going to affect some decisions. I'm going to go when I can go, ultimately, as long as I'm going to draft well or I don't need to fix my draft position somehow by playing more. Or the same mentality. Why am I going to spend another year of my life if I'm not going pro playing football when I need to get a career underway and start making money and get ahead of this curve to a certain degree if I can get a job guaranteed for me? So I think there are more chances that Division I guys will stay for an extra year, come back, utilize the scholarship uh, year that they may be able to take part in. But I don't think it's going to be as big an effect either in Division One, but it will be greater than in Division Three, for instance. Oh, well, you heard from the optimist. Things are not looking too optimistic right now. Frank Rossi from in the D3 football huddle. You can follow him on his personal Twitter at Frank Rossi or on the uh, on the uh, on the page site, D3FB Huddle is the handle. Before I let you go though, I saw your last video, the end of it, where you kind of had a little montage. I don't appreciate you putting one of Irabor's touchdowns against Ithaca. Don't think I didn't see that. Um, but you know, you won that game, you won bragging rights, so I can't really complain, right? Well, the montage was of players I interviewed or uh, were present for uh, with my own videos because I couldn't go out and get rights with about, this was like a 20 minute creation, believe it or not, uh, that I pulled together while I was uploading the uh, main video that night. And, uh, you know, I had to go through my own files. So I guess if you're Ithaca, hashtag do better, win next time. So that if I'm present, I have my montage include you. You know, I, I, I caught a lot of flack when Merchant Marine Academy won the Secretary's Cup back from Coast Guard Academy. The day they won it, the year before I was holding the Secretary's Cup with the Coast Guard players around me at Merchant Marine Academy, and that became my cover photo on Twitter. The day they won it, somebody thought enough to come on my Twitter and say, Frank Rossi, we uh, respectfully request that you change your cover photo immediately. And I grabbed them holding the trophy because I didn't attend the game this year. They were at Coast Guard, Merchant Marine. I won it there. And I changed the photo. You know what? They did better. So hashtag do better, Ithaca, especially against Union next time you guys play each other, which hopefully will be this, in the 2021. Least. Hopefully. Hopefully. Fingers crossed. Uh, Frank, thank you so much for having you. Always a pleasure. And thank you for uh, shining some light on the current uh, not so optimistic state of college football. Again, follow him at Frank Ross. You're at D3FB Huddle in the D3 Football Huddle. Frank, I'll talk to you soon.